6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 5 through 8. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place, to the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. Remember, there were two very large cherubim, these strange winged creatures that were in gold, you know, 15 feet high and wingspan 15 feet wide, virtually. And between these were the ark of the covenant stood, in the holy of holies. For the cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. So they took the staves out. What's the point of that? The whole concept is the ark of the covenant was to move no more. It was through wandering the wilderness. It was now at its permanent home. It's equivalent uh, 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 saying it is finished. It's permanent, it's basic, it's established. The ark speaks of Christ. Everything in the tabernacle, every detail speaks of Christ. The ark, no exception. Basically, it's, saying that it's, it's a way of saying uh, Acts 4.12. There will no, be no other way of salvation. It's done. And he's also our Sabbath rest. You might read the epistle of Hebrews, chapter 4. He, uh, he is our rest. And uh, thirdly, he is now preparing a place for us. And that's what John 14, verse 2 and 3 and following deals with. They drew out the staves of the ark. That is sort of underscores that it's intended no longer to move. Now, because of their lack of faithfulness, they will, it will move. And we'll talk a lot about that later on in the book of 2 Chronicles. We'll show you some things that most scholars have missed in the text itself about the ark. Then verse 10 says, There was nothing in the ark save two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, and when they came out of Egypt. Now you may remember that from Exodus, but what bothers many scholars, there were some other things that at one time were in the ark, apparently, and they're not there now. When we read the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews points out that, speaking of the Holy of Holies, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of, coven of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. So the writer admits that there's a lot we don't know anymore, but he is under the impression, the writer of the Hebrews, that at least at one time there was a pot that had manna, as commemorating the uh, Exodus 14 and all of that. And also Aaron's rod that budded. Remember the confrontation with Aaron and all that. Well, that was th those two items were memorialized by putting, if not in, maybe alongside or with the Ark of the Covenant. By the time you get to Chronicles, that is no longer there. 
And so there's a mystery. Scholars speculate what might have happened. Somehow along the way, they've uh, dropped by the wayside. The manna was a symbol, was a symbol of Christ, who's the bread of life, who feeds those who are his own. And that's an echo of number 17 and elsewhere. And then the manna would disappear if the people didn't gather it. Really? That's interesting. And if it was not eaten the same day, it would spoil. You couldn't gather manna for somebody else. Everyone had to get their own. There's, a month, there's about 17 different sermon method, messages you can get out of uh, the manna. And uh, Aaron's rod that budded is a symbol of Christ's resurrection. And you can make, you can make a whole sermonette on the, uh, the Aaron's rod. But in any case, these two things have uh, evaporated in history. Because when you get to Chronicles, they're not there anymore. It came to pass that when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. See, normally the priests, remember a few, a few sessions ago, we had the priests in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 24. David organized the priests in 24 courses. They served for a week, because there are more priests than you needed. So they each served for one week from Shabbat to Shabbat. And were in 24 weeks, you'd be up again, just like a, like a, a Navy watch bill or something. And, uh, but not for these special occasions. This is one where they were all had some kind of duties here. They were all present in this, and they didn't wait course by course. They were all on duty during these seven days that we're going to be talking about here. And the Levites, which were the singers, all of them at Asaph. You know, by the way, when you study your Bible, you, the early parts of Genesis, you quickly get the impression that the Levites were rough guys. Remember how they, they really went after, for avenge Dinah and all that? These guys were rough, tough guys. Now, when you get here, you'll discover that the Levites never went to war, but they were sort of the palace guard. I mean, they're the ones, their duties had to do with the temple, the tabernacle, whatever. They're the singers. All the three you're going to hear about the singers. And it's kind of interesting to realize that these aren't namby-pamby guys. These are, you know, this is a real man's chorus dealing here. So, for what it's worth. The Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph and of Heman and the Jedathan, and their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, which, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding trumpets. Now, that's a lot of trumpets. A hundred and twenty trumpets. Woo. It came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound. I can't imagine that. <laughs> They're all in, on key. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Get this, this is really wild. So that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. This is not some kind of mass hallucination. This cloud came, they couldn't minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. We can't imagine what that means. You can sort of kick it around, but I don't think we have any real grasp of that. They couldn't minister. They could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. Whew. The word for this, one of the words, you won't find it in the Bible, but you will find it in all the rabbinical literature called the Shekinah. Shekinah. And uh, it means for, to dwell. It's the dwelling of God, His presence. It, from that same root, uh, Hebrew root comes Mishkan, which means the tabernacle, the place where He's dwelling. Uh, Jesus, uh, John 1, 
chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 14, he, he, uh, uh, he, he, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. The Mishkan, same word, in effect. God's visible manifestation in a cloudy pillar in fire. Pillar by day, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire at night, remember? All the way through the... Can you imagine 40 years of that? And when it moved, they moved. It always is over... It's described in the text as being over the mercy seat. We use the term Ark of the Covenant connotatively really to refer to two things, the mercy seat and the box it's sitting on. The box is the Ark of the Covenant, as we might call it, wood covered with gold. But you have this hammered gold on top. We're going to talk a lot about that in a subsequent chapter, but I want you sensitive to the fact that they're really separate. The mercy seat happens to be on top of the Ark of the Covenant, but they're separate items, and God is always dwelling over the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the identity here. It's going to be very important to understand that as we go forward. The earliest notice of the Shekinah was in the Garden of Eden. That sword-like flame between the cherubim being the presence of Yorhevave, if you will, from which Cain went out, before which Adam and succeeding patriarchs worshipped. They worshipped before that particular altar in front of the cherubim at the Garden of Eden. They, could, they were out of the garden, but that's where they went. And when they did an offering, Cain and Abel, that whole story in Genesis 4, fire from heaven came up and took the offering. We can't imagine that. If we passed a plate around here and God reached down and got, it would shake us up a little bit. You know? That's how Cain knew his offering wasn't accepted. We missed that, that story, unless you're watching carefully. Now, the patriarchs anticipated the Shekinah return under the Messiah. I will cause my Shekinah to dwell in it with glory. That's Haggai 1.8. I will cause my Shekinah to dwell in the midst of thee. The word, it's translated glory in most of your Bibles. And uh, the continued presence of the Shekinah down to Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the temple. It was in the temple until the Babylonians destroy it. That's going to be at the end of the book of Chronicles. From that point on, it's not around. It will leave in the days of Ezekiel, and uh, it was not, this is not part of the action in the second temple, it's not part of the action in Herod's temple, etc. So there's a, we need to be sensitive to that. Its absence from Zerubbabel's temple is one of the five particulars that are reckoned by the Jews as wanting the second temple. The rabbis have five things that the, that the second temple, Zerubbabel temple, was missing, and that was one of them, for what it's worth. Ark of the Covenant is another one. New Testament speaks of the glory of the Lord. The word tabernacle among us, as I mentioned, John 1.14. The power of Christ may tabernacle upon me, as Paul says in Corinthians. This coming again with clouds and fire is the antitype of the Shekinah. That's all through the New Testament. And angels or cherubim usually accompany the Shekinah in Revelation and the Psalms and elsewhere. Okay, that's chapter 5. Let's move on to chapter 6, the message, the prayer, dedication. Then said Solomon, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Now, we, we're not boxing God in here. God is far beyond this. But he is, by God's choice, he, he, that, this whole procedure was to give a mechanism by which he could dwell among his people. But I have built a house of habitation for thee and a place for thy dwelling forever. And the king turned his face and blessed the whole congregation of Israel, and all the congregation of Israel stood. 
And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who hath with his hands fulfilled that which he spake with his mouth to my father David, Solomon speaking, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people out of the land of Egypt, I choose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build a house in that my name might be there. Neither choose I any man to be ruler over my people Israel. Interesting. No other city on the planet earth can make this claim. No other temple on the planet earth has this attribute. That God, this is all God's doing, His selection, and it makes, it's a uniqueness that we need to understand. We need to understand that even if we're not Jewish. You say, well, Jews understand it because, you know, maybe so. But, but uh, uh, we need to understand, too, that this is not some um, self-aggrandizement on their part. This is what God Himself has established. Since the day I brought forth, I choose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build a house in, that my name might be there. How interesting that the whole world is challenging that. Disregards it. There's no, no fear of God anywhere. And when our country was first founded, most of the people, they might have different views, but they had at least a fear of God. Not today. You can't find anyone, hardly anyone, that has a serious fear of God in any, in any of their conduct or their words or their objective, ob objectives. That my name might be there. God's name. But I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, Solomon speaking, uh, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, for as much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, thou didst well in that it was in thine heart. Notwithstanding, thou shalt not build a house, but thy son which shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house for my name. Lord therefore hath performed his word that he hath spoken, for I am risen, Solomon speaking all this, for I am risen up in the room of David my father, and am set on the throne of Israel, as the Lord hath promised, and have built the house for the name of the Lord. And in it have I put the ark, wherein is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the, covenant, uh, with the children of Israel. And he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands. You could almost, if we were... If we were punctuating this the way we would today, there would be some closed quotes there, because Solomon finished speaking, and now the chronicler is describing that he stood before the altar, etc. Then he spread forth his hands. And Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad, figure seven and a half feet in, in, in square, if you will, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. He kneeled upon his knees, the king himself, in front of all the people. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven or in the earth, which keep his covenant. Which keep his covenant. Come back to that one. And showest mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. The fact that God keeps his covenants makes him distinctive. The God of Islam is Allah, who is presented as capricious. He can do anything. You're never certain, even as a devout Muslim, you're never certain what Allah is going to do or favor. There is no certain path to salvation in, in, in Islam. Allah is presented as, can, he can do anything, read that capricious, read that untrustworthy. The God of the Old Testament, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Yaakov, is a God who delights in making and keeping his promises. Very important distinctive here. And show us mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which hast kept with thy servant David my father, which thou hast promised him, 
and spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit upon the throne of Israel. Yet so that the children take heed to their way to walk in my law as thou hast walked before me. There's a condition there. They need to walk in his way. Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. But will God in every deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant, and to his supplication, O Lord God, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. That thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. It's interesting, just pause for a minute. Centuries later, when Daniel is a couple of hundred miles away, captive in Babylon, and Jerusalem is a rubble, Daniel always prayed facing to the temple. He'd open the window, and he would pray as if. In fact, he, it was always, he would say, it's the time of the evening oblation. There was no evening oblation. The temple wasn't in operation. But as far as Daniel's concerned, it was the time that they should have been, and he prays as if they were. Interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of devotion we miss in the, in the subtleties as you go through Daniel. And, uh, and he did that because of Solomon's comment here. To hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of the people of Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven. And when thou hearest, forgive. Ooh. If a man sin against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house... Then hear thou from heaven and do and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, and by justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. And if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall return and confess thy name, and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. I'll insert another comment here. Israel's back in the land, but not because they deserve it. If you want to understand why they're back in the land, read Ezekiel 36. That's the chapter before Ezekiel 37 with the, with the dry bones and they're called together. He says, I do this not because you've deserved it, because you profane my name wherever you want. I'm doing this because my, before my namesake. My name is on the deal. It's God's reputation to protect. That's why they're back in the land, because he promised he would do that. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it. Anyway, moving on. Then hear thou from the heavens, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again to the land which thou gavest to them and their fathers. When the heaven is shut up, and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin, when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou from heaven, and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, when thou hast taught them the good way wherein they should walk, and send rain upon thy land which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. And if there be dearth in the land, and if there be pestilence, if there be blasting, or mildew, or locusts, or caterpillars, 
If their enemies besiege them in the cities of the land, whatsoever sore and whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man, or of all thy people Israel, when every one shall know his own sore and his own grief, and shall spread forth his hands upon this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according to, unto all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, if thou only knowest the hearts of the ch children of men. For thou, excuse me, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great namesake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, they come and pray in this house. Then hear thou from heavens, even from the dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calls to thee for that, that all people of the earth may know thy name, and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. That all the people of the earth may know thy name. We can be very critical of Israel, but we fail to recognize that in large measure they accomplished that. In the days of Solomon, they were known worldwide. That's the, we're going to see Queen of Sheba visit in a surprising display of interest and so on. But the purpose of it all, the purpose of Israel, the purpose of Jerusalem, the purpose of the temple, was that all people of the earth may know thy name indeed. Sounds very foreign to our present concept of toleration and multiculturalism, doesn't it? If, thou people, if thy people go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them, and they pray unto thee toward the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, and they carry them away captives unto a land far off or near, Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, we have done wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart, that's the tough part, with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they have carried them captives and pray toward their land which thou gavest unto their fathers and toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, let thine ears be attent to the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, unto thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David thy servant. Whew. Okay. So that was Solomon's prayer to God. We're going to have God's going to appear to Solomon a second time and see what happens here. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, in chapter 7 verse 1, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Simple sentence, breathtaking. We're talking thousands of people watching this, and to watch God reach down and consume the burnt offering. Wow. And it wasn't just one altar. There were thousands being offered, so this is a big deal. 
And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they panicked completely. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice. Get this, 22,000 oxen. That'll excite the animal rights people, huh? <laughs> and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. They were serious. Whatever else, they were serious. They took it seriously. Now the priests waited on their offices, the Levites also with instruments of music and the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because his mercy endureth forever. When David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court, which was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat. Far more than could do just on that one thing, of course. Also, at the same time, uh, Solomon kept the feast of seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great congregation, from entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. That's like the whole country, if you will. And uh, Hamath is of the northern boundary of the Euphrates River, and the Wadi of Egypt is the Wadi Arish, El Arish, in the, in the minds of most scholars there. And on the eighth day they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. They knew how to throw a party, huh? And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he prosperously affected. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music